Five, four, three, two, one. Ron and Anian. Why would you do it this way rather than take it to somebody for a diagnosis? I think I know the answer. I just want to hear you say it. The car doctor. I have never touched the transmission fluid. Uh, I've never done anything, and I have no reason at this point to do anything. First of all, you've exceeded what I consider to be normal life of a transmission. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on auto motive repair if your mechanic's giving you a busy signal pick up the phone and call in the garage doors are open but i am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900 and now here's ronnie hey come on in sit down ronnie and Indian, the car doctor at your service 855-560-9900 is the phone number that's 855-560-9900 the car doctor's 24 7 toll-free number to call in and get your car question solved, give us a call and we'll sol- give you an answer that uh, will put you back in the driver's seat and out on the road with the uh, shiny side up and the dirty side down, as they like to say. More information about this radio show at cardoctorshow.com. Also, podcasting available from a multitude of sources. TuneIn.com, iHeart.com, iTunes.com, Google Play, and as well as our own aforementioned cardoctorshow.com website. You can find podcasts there as well. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to sit with me this hour and the next hour, if you're inclined, if you're lucky enough to be an affiliate that gets it. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to be part of your weekend as we cruise along. This hour also, I should point out that we're going to be talking to Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com. Paul will be stopping by to talk to us about, of all things, technology. Gee, is technology reaching the point where it's outpacing the technician? And Paul's got some interesting thoughts about that. As well, sometime in the next two hours, we're going to be giving away a Wix 75th anniversary 39 Ford Coupe diecast car. And we know how you all look forward to that. So maybe you can get Dad a an early, late Father's Day gift. It won't be there tomorrow. It won't be there this weekend. But uh, maybe you can just stick a picture of it in his wallet or in his card and uh, say, hey, Dad, this is coming to you uh, as soon as it gets here if uh, you're lucky enough to call. And the uh, decisions of the judges, that being our one and only producer that uh, will be making that decision, you can uh, ask Harry and uh, See if you can convince him to give you that die-cast car. But in any event, Tony says no, so uh, we're going to leave it up to Tony and Harry. They're going to duke it out because I know Tony really wants to take that car home himself. Speaking of cars and speaking of diagnosis and everything else, an uh, interesting story this week at the shop, P0171. And we're trying something new. I've, I've just posted out on YouTube a video, P0171 Diagnosis, on the Car Doctor YouTube channel. And I've got it up on the Facebook page, Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. And it's basically an explanation of what I'm going to talk about right here and now. And the video doesn't do it justice, and how I talk about it here won't do it justice. It's probably something you need the benefit of looking at both or listening to both to to fully comprehend. P0171 is a lean fuel condition. It's something that you've all seen or encountered driving a car in this day and age where the onboard computer sees fuel trim, sees the balance of air to fuel, go out to the level that all of a sudden it's running too lean on bank one if it's a four-cylinder or bank one not yet bank two if it's a V6 and so on. P0171 refers to the the bank of cylinders where cylinder number one is located. That being said, here's a quick diagnosis. 
Keep in mind that P0171 will set, and for some reason 171 set on this car first, but it doesn't exclude the fact that the engine could be running lean on both banks. So the first thing you want to do is always go in and look, obviously, after you get the code. Take a look at freeze frame data. Freeze frame is the video snapshot of what that vehicle was going through, the approximate conditions of what was happening when that failure occurred, such that it caused the computer to turn on the light and say, I got a problem. Sometimes you will see fuel trim. If zero is a perfect mixture, you'll see fuel trim on 171 as a failure in excess of 20%. But if bank two, if it's a V6 or a V8, if bank two has fuel trim approaching 16%, 17%, that may not be enough to turn on the light, but it's surely enough to let us know that this problem is both banks. In the case of this 2000. Toyota Avalon that I was working on this week at the shop at RA Automotive, this was a fuel trim problem on both banks. When I looked at fuel trim for banks one and two, bank one had set the fault, but bank two was creeping up. It was only a couple of percentage points behind. And the importance of this is, listen, if it was just bank one and it's a V6, what am I looking for? I'm looking for a vacuum leak that would only create an issue on bank one if it's something strongest at idle, or I'm looking for a failure that's only bank one, perhaps an air fuel or an oxygen sensor that is skewed and affecting fuel trim on bank one. But in this case, it was both banks. The one common thing to both banks on many cars today are mass airflow sensors. Mass airflow sensors are a chronic problem, especially as they get mileage, especially as they get older. Now, one of the simplest measurements to use when you're diagnosing a mass airflow or what you see as a potential mass airflow sensor is to take a look at something called calculated load. Calculated load is a measurement of how the scan tool will report air ingestion. Think of it. Take a breath. Go. <gasps> Breathe in. Breathe in really hard. <gasps> There's a difference there. All right, your volumetric efficiency or how well you fill your lungs is different in both of those cases. The computer knows this. The onboard computer is looking at volumetric efficiency or how well the engine is filling with air, and it returns a calculated load value. It says, hey, it's, it's being 40% efficient or 50% or it's running at 60% or 70% and so on. At wide open throttle, don't care who makes the car, at wide open throttle, non-turbocharged, non-supercharged, normally aspirated. We're going we're gonna to have to put that caveat in here. A, a normally aspirated engine, wide open throttle, will generally produce between 90 and 100% calculated load as a value. So we've got a car that's running lean. Let's get mass airflow out of the way. And you can go through lab scope, and there's a bunch of ways to look at grams per second, and there's a Everybody's probably got their own method, but calculated load has been proven time and again, in my opinion, to be one of the most accurate. You're going to go out, you're going to cruise along second gear, let's say 20 miles an hour, and put your foot through the headlight. You're looking at it on a scan tool, and the nice thing is if you're using a, a good scan tool, I was using the Launch X431 Pad 2, which has record capability and also graphing capability. I had it in graph mode. I didn't have to watch the scan tool. I could watch the road. I did a couple of hard pulls first step out of the gate i re i achieved a 61 percent i'm sorry it was it's 60 or 65 percent calculated load value you'll see it in the video 
but it doesn't matter because the point is I only achieved 65% calculated load. It's not nearly enough. Brought the car back, took the mass airflow sensor out, looked at it. I could see schmutz. Schmutz is a technical term, all right, on the sensor. Cleaned it because that schmutz insulates how the sensor perceives air volume and temperature, depending upon which part of the sensor we're talking about. Put the sensor back in, followed the manufacturer's suggestions on how to clean it, put the sensor back in the car, took it for another ride, calculated load. And the key here is about consistency. You're trying to do this the same way every time. And it's a little bit of an acquired taste and acquired talent. You've got to know, you know, how did I hit it? How did I accelerate? What speed was I in? What, what, What was I doing at that moment? You want to try and be very repetitious here achieved a calculated load value of 70%. Hey, we're going in the right direction. Went through, replaced the mass airflow sensor. Same test. Did it four times with the new mass airflow sensor in the car and achieved a calculated load around 92%. Wow, big jump. Now, in the video, you'll see I I show you a picture of the air filter that I took out. Wasn't the worst, wasn't the best. But it was just enough that made me think, hey, and it was also an off-brand, which wasn't really, that's something I look at. I look at the quality of air filters in terms of we don't want to use anything cheap. Put a Denso air filter in it. Went out and did the same test. Picked up two percentage points. Calculated load, 94%. The car was fixed. So my point is, and the bottom line becomes, the diagnosis isn't hard in a lot of cases. It just takes common sense, and it takes some due diligence. What are you trying to achieve? In the end, even with all the technology that's on a car today, it still takes some common sense and basic understanding and principles. Diagnosing this was no different than diagnosing a car with a carburetor and a stuck metering rod or dirt in a main jet. It's just the idea that now I have the ability to look at things electronically to look at calculated load as as a value coming out of the scan tool, which here's a case where everybody complains about technology. Technology really helped me fix this car. Get out to Facebook. Get out to YouTube. You'll see the video. P0171. Look up me, Ron Anini, and the car doctor, and you will see it there. In the end, this car was fixed, and I was able to give it back to the customer confident. Hey, problem solved, and it was clear-cut bad mass airflow sensor. Just another way to look at it and something else for you to think about rather than guess. One, a couple of the finer points, and I could talk about P0171, P0174 fault codes, 172 fault codes all day long. I didn't see a change in fuel trim at idle. If this was strictly an idle-only lean fuel code, I'd be looking for a vacuum leak and only a vacuum leak, something that affects it at idle. But this was under load when this vehicle went lean, and that's what told me I've got something, I'm dealing with something with air ingestion. And I found all kinds of things. Listen, I found (laughs) one time a customer did their own air filter, and ever since the check engine light was on, they forgot to take it out of the plastic bag. They thought the plastic bag was supposed to be wrapped around the air filter to help keep it clean which it was. The problem is the engine can't breathe through a plastic bag just like a person couldn't, and it created all sorts of issues in terms of the way that vehicle run. 855-560-9900, running in the car, doctor. I'm coming back to a full phone board. Stay tuned. We'll return right after this.
Hey, welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor here. Let's get over and talk to Greg in Yonkers, New York. Greg, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Good afternoon, Ron. This is Greg, the TV guy. We've communicated before. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-oh. How's it going, man? Uh, not so good with my Lexus. Uh-oh. Uh, again, with, with the 97 Lexus. My traction and ABS light has uh, been flashing. And I had read that the uh, speed, it might be the speed center. But when I put the emergency brake on, shut the car off, then then release the brake, and then turn the car on, it goes out. Okay, and then when so, does it does, when does it come back on? Once the car starts rolling. And then, well, what it'll do is it'll stay out for a while, and then, like, say I start it up the next morning, it'll be on again and start flashing. Okay, so by and, chance, do you have the ability to scan it for codes, Greg? Um, I think I can get somebody to scan it. I, it, it probably, I probably need a good scan tool, right? The, well, the snap need, on one. You, well, you need something beyond generic OBD two. You know, a, a launch scan tool will do it. Uh, obviously, the snap on will do it. Uh, you know, the factory scan tool will do it. I mean, there's a hundred ways to go at this, but you know, starting to well, if I pull this up, if I you know, it sort of sounds like, listen, if, if I scratch my head, if I turn the key to the right, if I put the left window down, the light goes out. If I open the trunk, the light comes back on. What do you think it could be? Um, let's go in and get the information that, that the manufacturer put in there. Let's scan it. Let's, let's you know, as much as I know it's it's painful for you because I know you're an old-school technology guy. Um, for, for, you know, listen, I still remember the 77 or was it 77 or 78 Chevy Impala wagon you had. Um, right, the 77. But right. why would the emergency brake affect that, though? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you. Okay. I can tell you if you give me a fault code. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about why the emergency brake affects it more so than I want to know what the fault code is, and then I can work my way backwards and say, okay, it comes from this. It comes from that. Now I can tell you this, you know, because failures on this particular car aren't super common. There is one area. There's a bulletin out from Lexus that talks about problems with the rear ABS speed sensor where it loops up against the body, and you want to be sure that it isn't pinched up there, or you didn't hit a pothole and somehow tear the wiring harness. Have you looked around under the car at the wheel speed sensors? Um, no, I haven't done that yet, so that would be in the back, right? Right, correct. And listen, anytime a problem like this happens, a good visual of everything is always the way to go. All right? You know, let's do a visual inspection. Let's look at sensors let's look at wiring let's look at the tone rings if, if they're accessible and visible on this particular car i think the fronts are hidden and i think the rears are buried in the rear hubs but you can still see the uh you can still see where the sensors come into the tone rings and you know just keep in mind there's a lot of there's a lot of debris on the road you'd be surprised what what bounces up and hits a car doing 60 miles an hour and the damage it'll do Okay, so I guess I'll just go through. I'll have to look at all the wheels, the wheel sensors, right. and then try to scan it. Right, and definitely scan it. You know, if, if, if it's giving you, listen, the car is trying to help you, all right? And I know you're old school like so many of the guys out there, but embrace it, man. Just take it by the hand and say, okay, I love you. How can you help me? And just listen to the code it wants to give you. You know, if, if it, all of a sudden it starts sprouting off and it's giving you a 22, a 23, a 24 wheel speed sensor faults, hey, that's good news. It tells you what direction to look in. All right? And then we could have the conversation. There's there's probably something with strategy that creates when you pull up on the parking brake, it, it turns the light out or changes the way the system responds. But for now, 
I'm, I'm not into that. I want to know why the light's coming on. I want to scan it. And if you scan it and don't get a fault code, then that's a different conversation. All right? Okay, so the code, So once I get the code, and then that code stays in there, right? It should be in there in history, yeah, depending upon how long it's been since the last time the light was on. Okay. All right? Listen, if one of the cameras... Right, pre- let me ask you a question. If one of the cameras at the TV station was broken, and you're, and you're 30 seconds to air... What are you going to do to fix it? Either switch to another camera or try to fix it. Right. Quickly. Or, or try to fix it quickly. But you would you would you wouldn't sit there and analyze could it be you would just hey, I got to get into this. I got to get information. That's my point. All right, All right brother? Okay. So, don't, don't All right, I appreciate it, Ron and have a advanced happy Father's Day. Thank you, sir. And uh, my best to you and everybody out there way of Yonkers. So, uh as always a pleasure. Let's go over and talk to Jeff up in Maine with a Ford F-150 and some questions about spark plugs. Yes, Jeff, how can I help you run any of the car doctor at your service, sir? Well, it's about the coil. I've got a, I've got a code of a P-0301. Right. And i got a P-0305. Okay, so cylinders one and five. Go ahead. Cylinders one and five. Now, I was going to buy coils, and I see them online for like $29 for like six of them. Right. But then I... Then I go back and I check, and everybody's saying how they're not working, and right. they have problems. Are there some clothes that are better than others? Or what? Oh, absolutely. But here, let's let's try this. Before we just randomly swap coils in this, have yep. you you know before we just put coils in it? This is this is a V. This is a V eight, correct? It's a four six V eight. Yep. Right. Okay. So why don't we take the coil from cylinder one, stick it in cylinder three? Let's take the coil from okay. let's let's take the spark plug from cylinder one and stick it in cylinder two. In other words, move the coil and plug around, and consequently take the ones from the other cylinders and put them back where that was, and then write it down so you don't get confused, and then drive it. Clear the code, drive it, and try and duplicate the code. Does the same fault happen again? Telling you it's on cylinder one. If the problem follows the coil, it's the coil. If the problem follows the plug, it's the plug. If the problem stays with cylinder one, it's something mechanical or it's fuel injector related on that particular cylinder. As far as the price of coils, the $29 coils aren't worth anything. Just go buy the good quality stuff because, yes, there is a huge difference in the quality of coils. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor rolling along this hour. Thanks for spending some time with us this weekend. And I appreciate it each and every weekend. And uh, for all of you that take the time to include me in part of your um, your your listening time, your self-care time, as it were. And uh, I hope you're getting something out of this. And I know I do. I enjoy talking to each and every one of you each and every week. So let's uh, let's just pull over without any further ado and a great deal of fuss and go talk to Paul Eisenstein, the DetroitBureau.com. It's always a pleasure to have Paul with us. And we're glad he took some time out today to spend it with us. Paul, welcome back, sir. Hey, good to be with you. Uh, what's going on in the world of Paul Eisenstein? <laughs> oh, man. Loaded uh, question, right? Little, well, taking, taking a bit of a break. I'm uh, actually out at a cottage today doing uh, about three hours of kayaking. Just came in uh, to catch you. Oh, cool. Um, I see a lot of things going on in the automotive world. I've been reading the DetroitBureau.com every day faithfully, and some of the stories there are just uh, they're a little nerve-wracking. Um, this this thing with uh, Mercedes and the and the uh, gray zone and autonomous technologies. Can you talk to us about that? 
Yeah, well, you know, this is an interesting story. I, I, I think one of the most significant pieces I've done quite a while. Uh, first of all, I, I got a chance this past week to drive the new Mercedes E300. Are, are you familiar with that car at all? Not yet, no. That's why I was reading the article. Yeah, well, the E300 is the latest update of Mercedes, a very popular mid-sized sedan. And it is loaded with so much technology, they reasonably claim it to be the most intelligent car in the world. Now, it has the ability not only to detect a potential collision going forward, but to apply the brakes. It can detect pedestrians. It can detect pedestrians when you back up. It can tell whether or not a car might accidentally hit you from the side. Here's something interesting. It has the ability to actually push you toward the center of the vehicle, away from the door, in case you're about to be hit from the side, T-boned. How is it going to do that? What, has it got an inflatable bag? Uh, well, it uses radar to be able to tell that somebody is running a red light, let's say, or uh, a T, uh, uh, stop sign. Uh, but then it uses the bladder in the seats. You know, it has those little bolsters on the side that actually inflate almost instantaneously to push you about three inches towards the center, away from the door. Now, one of the other features that they have is is called uh, steering assist. So, for example, let's say there's a collision, it can actually help steer you around it. And there's another feature, which is uh, something that a lot of folks, I think, are going to find interesting. It, it has a steering system that, uh, let's say you're on a, an interstate, and uh, you're coming up on the guy in front of you, and the guy's going slow, and you want to pass. Well, instead of actually having to uh, steer yourself around <laughs> the car in front, you simply tap on the turn signal, wait two seconds, and this car will pass and then pull back into your lane. Don't you think we're creating, you know, it, it almost seems like T-ball from the 80s, right? Everybody gets a trophy, everybody wins. Don't you think we're creating an environment or, you know, we're, we're creating distracted driving? This is a very interesting thing. It gets back to the subject that you asked me about, this gray area. Uh, it, now, if, if you look at some of the estimates out there, there are those who believe that all the autonomous technology coming could virtually eliminate highway fatalities. And the reality is around 90% of all crashes are the result of human error. So we talk about, oh, shouldn't humans keep driving? Well, the fact is we're responsible for most of the crashes, and there are about 33,000 people a year dying, most of those, because of human mistakes. Right. So the, the argument is that technology can do a better job, uh, particularly when people are driving on the freeway, they're stuck in traffic, they tend to get distracted and so on. Uh, are, are, are you familiar with forward collision warning or forward yeah. collision yep. warning yeah. with yeah, sure. emergency braking? Yep. Yep. Well, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety recently did a study, and they compared identical cars with and without the technology, because, you know, it's optional on a lot of vehicles. And those that had auto braking, auto emergency braking, had 32% fewer forward crashes. Wow. But at what, yeah. pr at what price, Paul? Because then, you know, part of this conversation has to be, okay, we can put something as complicated or more complicated than the space shuttle in your driveway. Who's going to fix it? And at well, what price? Well, that, that is an interesting question. Now, you already have more lines of software code in your vehicle 
than the shuttle. You have more lines of code than the brand new Air Force F-35. Uh, it's, it's over 100 million lines of code. The, the interesting thing is that all these new features are to a large degree using the same technology that we had a year or two ago in your vehicle. In other words, if your car had a camera, it's just getting smarter about using that camera or that laser or that radar. There'll be a few more pieces of hardware, but a lot of what's coming will be using software rather than hardware. And as you know, Tesla has already gotten to the point where if they have a problem, they can update it remotely through what's called OTA, right. over-the-air updates, very similar to what happens with your smartphone. And I think that's great. I think, you know what, I think if, sometimes I, I think Tesla is 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 picked on for what they're trying to do, because I think they are sort of turning the world on its ear, and I think they have that ability to really achieve some great things. And They're uh, doing some great things, yeah. and uh, there's some, some downsides. I'm going to be re- reporting soon about some quality issues that they have, but uh, uh, look for that in, in an upcoming uh, story on the DetroitBureau.com. Did you ever, uh, now, did you ever that, stop to think, Paul, yeah. did you ever stop to think things like what Tesla's doing are really, you know, development of the electric vehicle, not just for here, but I always look at it, and I'm a little bit of a science fiction buff, but I think about it, you know, are we trying to take that electronic technology to other planets when we go to Mars and the and the rest of the universe, you wonder, right? Well, well, you'll you'll probably have that technology show up in all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the the space shuttle and the F thirty five. Look at look at the uh, SpaceX rocket that Elon Musk's other company has. It just recently landed, a, I think, a second time successfully after the first stage booster separated and sent the satellite into orbit the the booster landed on a on a platform out in the ocean yeah. so you know everything's getting smarter your home's getting smarter yep. now here's here's the real concern uh how do you deal with the issue of legislation how do you deal with regulations and rules and traditionally ron the, the feds took the lead in other words, you didn't do anything as an automaker unless it was already essentially mandated. Uh, simply changing a warning light color in a vehicle might have required a year or two of study and rulemaking before you were allowed to, say, go from blue to red or red to blue. Now, uh, the new head of NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, uh, a, a, a guy named uh, Mark Rosekind, is taking a very different approach. He is cracking down on safety lapses, you know, with the, the Takata airbag mess, the General Motors ignition switch mess, and so on. But he's also saying to automakers, we're going to give you more free reign to start developing and using some of these new technologies in your car before we do the regulations, because the regulations could take five years for technology that's available today and ready to save lives now. Right, and that's 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 what they're chasing. Yeah, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and to your point before, there's a lot of technologies, a lot of software. We know that cell phones don't always work right. Uh, that that our laptops and uh, tablets don't always work right. So so that the question is, are we pushing a little too far out there? And I, I found it interesting. The Mercedes people said they were worried about some technology. They decided not to put it in their new car, the new E-Class, because they thought they did maybe go a little bit too far. Well, and I think it's it's coming down to the point of whether it's an independent repair shop or a dealership, the level of technician is 
only going to be so far. I mean, they can only go so, you know, to this level. Who's going to fix it? Um, that, that, that's an and issue. that's an and issue. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the cost of the technology when it does go bad. The, the good news is all, this, all the hardware that's needed for all these systems, the cameras, the laser units, LIDAR, they call uh, some of the new laser technologies, the the radar and everything else. Those costs are coming down, which is why you're seeing a lot of this technology show up in more mainstream vehicles. Look, when, when ABS first came to market, 25, almost 30 years ago. I, you, you've been around long enough. You probably remember. It was a $1,700 option oh, on the sure. BMW and, 7 Series. And, and now it's now it's 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 a fraction of that. Hey, Paul, we're going to pull over and take a pause. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about Volkswagen and their concept of 30 battery cars by 2025. So absolutely, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. I'm Ron Nini, the Car Doctor, with Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, DetroitBureau.com. We'll be back right after this. back. Ron Anini, the car doctor here with Paul Eisenstein of the Detroit Bureau, the DetroitBureau.com, chatting it up as always. Paul, we pulled away and we were talking about, we wanted to get into a little bit with our time left, Volkswagen. You know, one of your articles on the website, the DetroitBureau.com, VW set to launch over 30 battery cars by 2025. Yeah, um, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, you know, not to be blunt, but don't they have enough problems making diesels? Now they want to worry about electric cars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think maybe that's why they're talking about it. In fact, the settlement that they're supposed to announce with the uh, with the feds here in the U.S. Uh, to solve their diesel problem is going to involve them agreeing to do more to clean up their em- emissions. So that's one of the reasons they're going to be launching more electric cars. Remember, these are going to be all sorts of different brands. So we'll we'll see. Uh, believe it or not, we're about we're about to see a Bentley plug-in hybrid. Remember, Bentley is owned by VW. We're going to see the Porsche Mission E a Tesla fighter built by Porsche and of course plenty of vehicles under the the VW brand but how can you ask this you know their their stock just took a serious hit right mm-hmm. um, how deep can their pockets be that they can afford this technology well that's an interesting question uh they are they are hurting a bit uh, in fact, uh, there's some talk that they may sell off some of their assets to help cover for the uh, for the disaster with the diesel. But I think that the reality is that everybody is going to be spending a lot of money to electrify. Believe it or not, we're going to see a lot more electric cars going forward. Even Volvo. I had a chance to drive the new Volvo S90 sedan, and I uh, broke a story that they are getting ready to roll out a bunch of electric vehicles from the Volvo brand as well. Isn't it going to be interesting to see... And, you know, and I look at this and I say the price of gasoline is going to change because the barrel of oil is going to become less because we're going to have more electric cars and less demand. So in theory, the automobile is going to change the political situations around the world and the Middle East. Do you ever think about it like that? That's the great irony, isn't it? Yeah. uh, The more more electric cars we have, the lower demand for oil is. You would hope the lower the price will be. Though, of course, look what's happened lately. Uh, there's a glut of oil. They can't find places to store it, and gas prices are going up again. Right. Well, that's 
Listen, I think we all know what that is. That's the manipulation of the marketplace. They're just, you know, summer's here, and they're just for whatever reason. And if we ask the politicians why, just my just my opinion, just conjecture, uh, if we ask the politicians why, they'll tell us that, hey, you know, it's just all about um, uh, summertime volatility and changes in blends of fuel and all the other reasons they come up with. But it's all about making money while they can, and uh, we'll see yeah. if that changes or not. So, um, but anyway, listen, as always, sir, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm glad you took some time out, and um, you keep us abreast. I enjoy, the, I enjoy the website, and if the listeners haven't gotten out to the DetroitBureau.com, they should, because you guys have it going on. You've got the most updated, constantly changing, best news source of the auto industry, as far as I'm concerned. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So you take good care, Paul, and have a good rest of the weekend. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm Ron Anini in The Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. You know, I, I wanted to take this segment and talk a little bit about, I have in front of me a dealer flyer. One of the local dealers is advertising the 4495 conventional oil change and talk about how we should all go out to the dealer and have the oil changes done there and turn down all the additional work that they, you know, somehow find wrong with the car. And some of it's legit, but I just wonder what would happen if we kind of beat them up on these cheap oil changes that they're always trying to do. Would they get the point that an oil change was supposed to be professional and supposed to be thorough and not just necessarily cheap? And then Frank called. Frank from Congress, New York. Frank, are you there, sir? How you doing? Great. Good, yeah, babe. Always, 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 always a pleasure. Do. Always a pleasure. It, but you're, you're right. You go down there, you go for this $44 oil change, next thing you know, well, you, you need a belt, you need this, you need that, and you're walking out with three $400 belt. Right. And that, that's what they're looking for. No. Well, you know what, Frank? We kind of segued you into this, and we've got you set up now because now you're officially part of the show. So we have a question for you. All right, you ready? <laughs> I got it, brother. Here, here, here it comes. We know, we know you're, we know you're a volunteer fireman up there in Congress, New York. So, oh, it, did you talk, you've been talking to Steve? No, Go no, ahead. no, no. So we know that you know we're talking about this forty-four ninety-five oil change, and Fast Harry, our executive producer, had this question, and he brought up a good point. Who changes the oil right. on? Who changes the oil on the fire trucks, and how many gallons of oil do they take? Well, to tell you the truth, it's a lot of oil, but Ruscon, Ruscon works does the does the work, and we're very fortunate to have Russ Khan up in, in Congress, and he takes care of the uh, system with uh, the Congress Fire Department. Yeah. And a lot of other, uh, Westchester, uh, outside Rockland, they do all the servicing. So he's a certified uh, mechanic. He runs a straight show and does a great job. So oh. that's, that's where it goes. Well, tip of the hat to him, and I'm sure there's gallons yeah. of oil in those trucks, not not quartz. I'm sure it's mm -hmm. measured in, in gallons and not... Uh, not quartz. Anyway, I got a yeah, minute left, Frank. Get, I, I, I believe I believe they get two services. I believe they get a spring and a full service on both of them. And it's probably and gone over on top of everything we do. Right. But listen, go ahead. Real quick, you were going to say something. I got thirty seconds. What do you you want to say, say something? something. Yeah. Thirty seconds. I want to wish you a, a happy Father's Day, everybody on the crew, and and, and all the listeners happy Father's Day, and just take it cool tomorrow, and, and just just uh, enjoy your uh, your tools. 
enjoy what we have in this uh, United States of America. Hey, you know what, Frank? Stay put. We're going to send you out the Wix diecast car, the 75th anniversary edition, the 39 Ford Hot Rod from the folks at Wix, WixFilters.com. So you uh, stay in your seat. Let Harry get your information, and we'll get that out to you. And we want to thank you for those kind thoughts. For all the listeners, and we wish you a back to you a happy Father's Day as well. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, reminding you once again, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.